1: celebrate
2: hey everyone before we get into today's pod i want to tell you about blue wire hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at blue wire hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start hustle is the perfect place for you as part of the program you'll receive personal cover art q a's with blue wire's top podcasters access to our community discord so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join.
3: Twenty minutes a day. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack A Day Podcast.
4: Sunday morning, a non-football Sunday, so that is somber, if you will. We are about three weeks removed from Super Bowl 54, and now looking towards Super Bowl 55. It is the last day of February, and the good news, there's spring training baseball starting today, if you're into that sort of thing. So I, as of noon today, will be watching the New York Yankees take on the Toronto Blue Jays and their skeleton squad. I'm sure that we won't have the likes of Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and Luke Voigt and some guys like that taking the field. But it'll be just nice to hear the crack of the bat and seeing some guys throwing some pitches and getting closer to what looks to be a relatively, quote-unquote, normal Major League season. Uh, There will be fans at Yankee Stadium on opening day. Jason, I'm not sure what the situation is out there in Arizona as far as fans go. And if anybody wants to tell me at Jacob Westendorf what the situation is at... I'm still calling it Miller Park. I don't care what the new name is. One, because I don't remember what it is. Two, because it's Miller Park, and you guys know the deal. But I don't know what the situation is there. I'm hoping that they have fans there, and we have something that looks like a normal baseball season as we transition into this post-COVID world, if you will. But I'm your host today. I'm not one of the normal guys. I am not Mike Wendland. I am not Gage Bridgeford. I am much older than Gage Bridgeford, as I'm sure he would like to point out. So there you go. I will do that for you, Mr. Gage. I'm Jacob Westendorf, I am your normal Thursday host, and I'm joined tonight by one of my longest standing partners, my partner for Pulse of the Pack, and my co-running mate over at Game On Wisconsin, the great Jason Perrone. Jason, sliding glass doors and adulting today, it sounds wonderful.
5: Oh, it was fantastic, and of course, you're, the, you're supposed to be the old man on the podcast, so you bring me on so that you can keep your status as young buck, so yeah, let's do this. Uh for those of you on Packet Day or devout listeners, every single day, you get me two days in a row. So either you're welcome or I'm sorry.
4: Condolences, just so everybody knows. I did try, uh, but Jimmy Christensen <laughs> is is injured and uh, fighting a bit of a knee injury right now. So that's a bit of a struggle for him at the moment. Uh, we wish him well as he recovers from that. But uh, you guys get us tonight, and I hope you enjoy that as we get rolling here. Jason, not a lot in the ways of news and notes you guys yesterday you talked about Aaron Jones and Corey Lindsley and JJ Watt and those are like the three big dominoes if you will to fall in the next week two weeks you know however long the league year starts on March 17th I'm sure we'll find out what the salary cap is going to be sometime during that period uh, there's a lot of speculation I am not going to speculate as I've said a million times over, I think discussing the cap when we don't know the number, we know it's going to be lower than what it was last year. That is all we know. But otherwise, that's all we know right now. So that's all we're going to go by. But Jason, we have a few things that we want to talk about. First and foremost, let's give you a chance. Give me a little synopsis yesterday. Just kind of your thoughts on those three guys that I just mentioned.
5: Yeah. So Mark Echo, Paul and I talked it through. I also had a chance to to contribute to the If I Were Goody series over at Game On Wisconsin. Talked about these guys as well, all three of them, as a matter of fact, because it was a matter of free agents, free agent targets, what to do with, with current guys. So my take was, and this is interesting because it's changed. When I published my my piece, I actually said, hey, do what you can to try to bring Aaron Jones back, but you've got to draw a line in the sand, and the dollar amount has to make sense if he can get paid somewhere else. Bon voyage. Thanks for everything. You were Fantastic. Never would have expected you could do that as a fifth-round pick and go get paid because running backs don't get a chance to do that, but once maybe if they're very, very lucky, twice. So at this point right now, though, Aaron Jones can't pay a running back. It just There's no history in the NFL to show that it's going to be a good thing and watch the Minnesota Vikings are about to take hit after hit because Dalvin Cook is paid a lot of money. And Paul made a really good point about, and Jake, I think we might have talked about it on Game on Wisconsin, too. Super Bowl winners don't have high-paid running backs. It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. So that, Aaron Jones, probably not coming back. Corey Lindsley, no conversations with the Packers. And that's because the flip side, the good side of that equation is Corey Lindsley's probably likely going to be playing somewhere else in 2021 and beyond. He will not be snapping to Aaron Rodgers as a Green Bay Packer. And that is because your general manager, Brian Gutekunst, found an absolute gem in the 2019 draft that was Elton Jenkins. And Elton yeah. Jenkins has been absolutely phenomenal, and that is why the Packers can afford to not have to, and can have the luxury of not having to pay an all-pro center approaching age 30 in a year where the salary cap is not going to increase and they've already got other issues and needs to solve, and they're not even under the cap right now. As far as J.J. Watt goes... It's exciting to know that the Packers are one of the three teams, well, not three, one of the small number of teams that Watt is still interested in playing for. I have to believe that his agent knows what Green Bay's number is. The fact that he's still interested in coming to Green Bay means the number is reasonable. I don't know that I'd buy these reports about 15, 16 million per year for JJ Watt, although I wouldn't be surprised. It only takes one team to do that. If that's the case, he will not be playing in Green Bay. He will not be a Packer. So that's my take on on those three, but I'm I'm still in on JJ Watt. If you can acquire a player like that and it fits within your whatever Goot and Russ Ball have laid out in terms of the finances, you have to go make that move.
4: Yeah, let me do the bit with Watt here real quick, just because I did think it was funny. On I think it was Thursday morning, the report from Diana Rossini came out that said you know Watt has an offer in the 15 to 16 million dollar range and. You know, I just took that and said, hey, listen, not." I think it was like two days prior to that, Bill Huber reported from a quoted source saying he's not getting the offers he wants. So shortly after that, something comes out and says he's got an offer of 15 to $16 million. That tells me one of two things. Number one, an agent, and an agent would never, ever do this, but an agent may be trying to manipulate the market a little bit, or two, the team that is offering $15 to $16 million to come play for them is not a team he's overly interested in playing for. So that may very well be what it is, is that it's a team that isn't quite a Super Bowl contender, so to speak, because Watt does have the luxury now of, I'm not saying I want him to, you know, I'm not asking him to take a, you know, $5 million a year contract, but, do you want to make if he wanted to make 17 million dollars to play for a bad team, he wouldn't have asked for his release from the Houston Texans. Like if that is what was the most important thing, he would have just stayed in Houston. He's beloved there. He's the best player in the history of their franchise. Yada yada yada. We'll see. Uh, I think the further this goes and the longer that Watt is unsigned, the better it is for Green Bay because then Green Bay has the opportunity to move some money or his price tag continues to drop so we'll see how that goes as for you know lindsley jones i I know that's a given i've talked about that a lot lindsley some people i've seen have said like oh maybe it would be different if it wasn't a a covid cap year so to speak and i don't think it would be you know the packers david bakhtiari is the second third contract they've given out to an offensive lineman well worded
5: i followed that very well nicely done i do what i can
4: uh the he both of them were left tackles Chad Clifton, and David Bakhtiari. I think they came into the year, and they already knew Lindsley wasn't going to be on the team next season. He rewarded them and himself with the best season of his career. Good for him. Go get paid. And they'll do what they did when Scott Wells left years ago and just plug in guys like Evan Dietrich-Smith and Jeff Saturday. And then eventually they drafted Corey Lindsley and had him play along with J.C. Treder and they found their long-term answer that way. So they may do something like that. If you had to ask me right now on February 27th at 7.30 p.m. Central time as we record this, I think the Packers' starting center in 2021 is going to be Lucas Patrick, and that is a good transition into our next topic, which is Elton Jenkins. Jason, you mentioned him, and there's been a lot of talk about what is he going to be for this team in 2021. And it's an interesting question. David Bakhtiari may or may not be back and ready by the time the regular season is ready to kick off. He was injured either on the last day of December or the first day of January. I don't really remember exactly which. Either way, nine months from December, January is either late September or early October. That's nine months. Twelve months means December. That's probably not the timeline we're looking at, but it is at least a possibility. That being said, Bakhtiari not playing means Billy Turner is probably your left tackle to open the season. I know some people have speculated that could be Jenkins. I don't think so. Uh, I think if Jenkins did play there sparingly a little bit, but I think if he's going to play, there's two positions I think, well, I take that back. There's three positions I think he could feasibly play and start at in 2021. Left guard, center, and right tackle. I am of the belief of this. And I kind of put out a gif earlier today on Twitter that I thought was funny, and apparently nobody else did. And it was the lady from that old YouTube video that said, leave Britney alone, talking, of course, about the great Britney Spears, an American music icon. I believe leave Elton alone. He is good at right tackle. He is good at center. He is great at left guard. Great, all pro player. I would leave him there. And figure out the rest and then kind of work knowing that. So, and even then, that's still a pretty good starting point when you have, you know, if you go from left to right right now, if you put a question mark at right tackle, Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, Lucas Patrick, John Runyon Jr., and then figure out your right tackle, whether that's Jared Vell here, somebody like that, maybe you bring back Rick Wagner on a smaller number or, you know, one of those veteran tackles that you can just kind of bring in and plug in, or you draft a guy early, and he starts early, and then eventually you shuffle to where David Bakhtiari's back, you flip Billy Turner over to the right side, and your line is in really good shape if John Runyon Jr. pans out. Something we talked about pre-show, Jason, was where we can take some solace is Brian Gutekunst's track record with drafting offensive linemen is very good. There was a story in The Athletic about Gutekunst going down and scouting David Bakhtiari, Very influential for that selection, which leads you to wonder. Gudekunst has been with the organization for a while. How many of those gems in the fourth round that we've talked about years and years and years, how much of that does Brian Gutekunst have his fingerprints on? And John Runyon Jr. acquitted himself very well, albeit in limited action, this past season. So I think the offensive line is going to be fine. I think they could stand to add a body or two, but I don't think that you should be messing around with an all, when you have an all-pro player in one spot, I would rather have the all-pro player at that spot and figure out the other spot. And I under, say that understanding that tackle is more valuable than than a guard. But I believe that, yeah, Jenkins should be the left guard. I think that makes Lucas Patrick a better player because he's better as a center, and you can just kind of roll from there and then see what happens. Have a competition at right guard. Maybe you bring back Lane Taylor. Maybe you have a comp between John Runyon, and Simon Stepaniak, and see who the winner of that is, and just kind of roll from there. But let the All-Pro be an All-Pro at the spot that he's been an All-Pro at. That's my thought on that. So what are your thoughts on on Jenkins and the possibility of moving him, shuffling him around?
5: So I'll cheat. I'm going to cheat my way through this answer. Because if you're going off of right now at this very moment and not knowing what the Packers are going to draft, what kind of free agency moves they're going to make, David Bakhtiari is not going to play at the beginning of the season, Who do you want to put at left tackle? It's one of the most important positions out there. you got to have somebody sure. So if it's not going to be Billy Turner, for whatever reason, then I wouldn't mind Elton Jenkins playing out there for a couple of games. The thing that concerns me is when you start moving guys around, even even as good as Jenkins is, and he is very versatile, and he's played all five positions on the line at one point or another, you get into a different habit, routine, you're practicing. So I I don't want to move Jenkins as a stopgap and then ask him to – move inside and play guard. I I think you're you're flirting with fire there a little bit to your point. He was an all-pro at left guard. He's been really, really good there. And I would like the Packers to solve their tackle problem without having to move Jenkins. On the other side of the equation, I think it's easier to find guards and centers in the NFL than tackles. So the Packers probably at this point right now have a plan A, plan B, plan C approach on the whiteboard for Elton Jenkins because they simply don't know who they're going to get in free agency and they don't know who they're going to draft. But, to your point, Gute's been really good. His track record's been good. There's This is a good tackle class that's coming out. So I trust – and the Packers have – how many picks, Jake? 11, 10, 11 picks? I Depending trust on how the comp picks come out, but yeah. I trust Green Bay to find a decent tackle because they don't have enough tackles on the roster right now. Josh Nijman right now is is the, the second or – what is he, the third, Am I, if I'm forgetting, pure tackle on the roster?
4: He might be starting if they had to play a game tomorrow.
5: So that's that's my point is, you know, I like where what you're thinking there, and obviously keep Jenkins where he's really, really good. Here's the other thing. If Lucas Patrick is going to play center, I don't hate it, but there were a lot of really good interior pass rush, a lot of good interior linemen, that the Packers happened to face last season. And one of the reasons why they played so well and negated a lot of those, and I know Aaron Donald was hurt in the playoff game, was because Corey Lindsley turned in an all-pro season at center and he was so good on the inside. Lucas Patrick is not going to hold up like Corey Lindsley did. So what do you have next to Lucas Patrick on the right and left side? Is John Runyon Jr. ready to step in and be that guy? Is is Billy Turner,
0: And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
5: You know, if he moves back in, in a guard, is he going to be able to handle that those are the those are the kind of things you have to think about because Lindsley's not going to be part of that equation there. So I guess for me right now, because I don't know what's at either tackle spot to start week one, pick one. Put Jenkins there and, and move him a couple weeks later. You just you want it you want to start off on a hot foot, and I, I would say Jenkins on the outside and then move him inside because it didn't ruin him last season. So if it's it's a stopgap. And look, I'm of the belief and I don't have any evidence to know that this is, is true or not, but I'm of the belief that between his mentality, his work ethic and modern science that we should probably wait and see. There might be a chance that David Bakhtiari doesn't miss a full quarter of this next season with the advances of recovering from an ACL tear.
6: Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more with the Credit Karma money spend account
4: Certainly. And one of the downsides to this is the time when the combine would normally be up and running. Today would have been the the Saturday of the combine. And tomorrow, obviously, we would have had another full day. I don't put a ton of stock into, you know, the workouts. I, I like the numbers. Obviously, I like hearing who's interviewed with whom and those kinds of things. But what you really get out of that is, one, this is when the legal tampering period usually starts. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And The other thing is you get a media availability from Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst. So you get a little bit of discussion as to, you know, that is where a few years ago, I remember Mike McCarthy saying, you know, one year it was they wanted to play more base. And then the next year it was they wanted to play more multiple and kind of go from there. And you get just some little nuggets here or there as to who's, you know, doing what as far as, or what their thoughts and maybe their plans are going on. So maybe that's a question we would have some answers to, but the combine is gone for this year at least, so we do not have answers to those questions this year, unfortunately. So one thing I will say, you did mention John Runyon, and will he be ready? I will say this. I watched just about every single snap of John Runyon's college career. He struck me as a type that needed a an NFL offseason to get his body underneath him, get his man weight on him, so to speak, which just about every offensive lineman or defensive lineman needs when they come into the draft. I think he's going to be just fine. They could have picked him in the fourth round where they ended up trading that pick, and I would not have batted an eye, and it would have been just fine by me. I'm not convinced he can't play right tackle. I don't think that would be a preference, obviously. Like I said, I think his future in the NFL is at guard, but you have that pedigree and that ability to just play like he has. I think Runyon's going to be fine, and I think they'll be very comfortable if they have him, quote-unquote, penciled in as a starter. But I'm also pro-competition. Bring in Stepaniak. Bring back Lane Taylor if you can get him on a vet minimum kind of deal. Bring in, you know, another draft pick, another selection, stuff like that, and just kind of work from there. Another interesting discussion we had, somewhat inspired by what we talked about on Thursday's episode of Pack-A-Day. Another one we talked about a little bit on, well, not we, but Peter Bukowski talked about on Locked on Packers, is the situation the Packers are in with Robert Tunyon. And Tunyon is, you know, a normal restricted free agent. You can tender them at the you know, the lowest possible levels, and you can bring them back. But Tunyon's coming off of a career season and had a really big year, obviously, and emerged as Aaron Rodgers' security blanket, all that good stuff. The discussion that Peter had was maybe Green Bay should not tender him at all. Now, I am not on that side of things. I would say, you know, $3 million – I'm not going to lose too much sleep over $3 million, even in a COVID cap kind of season. You know, if the difference is going to be $3 million, having somebody that you know you can rely on as a pass catcher is not going to be the worst thing to have at this time. That being said, I've talked about this before, you know, a scenario I have, I think the best case scenario for the Packers is tender Tunyon, have someone sign him and then you get a second round pick for Robert Tunyon. And, Listen, I've got – Robert Tunyon proved me wrong. I was not sure if he was going to be an NFL contributor. You know, I made some jokes the last couple years that he was more likely to be cut than to be a significant contributor. I was wrong. Good for Bobby Tunyon, Big Bob, whatever it is you guys want to call him. That being said, Tunyon to me is a system tight end. He's – the things he does in this offense are all based around – What is schemed up for him? I don't think he's making any big plays down the field like George Kittle, like Travis Kelsey, and he doesn't even have to be those guys. But if you look at some of the salaries that certain tight ends make, Jack Doyle makes around $7 million a season. That's too rich for my blood for somebody that if you're going to be largely a schemed up kind of player, basically the way Peter put it is, can you run and catch? Jace Sternberger can run. I know he struggled with the drops he's a little bit and he struggled with some injuries. I'm still in on Jace. I'm in on Josiah DeGuara. The Packers love him. Matt LaFleur famously said that after the draft. It became a bit of a hotkey that we used over at Game On Wisconsin until we drove it into the ground. And I think they're going to draft a guy. I said this to you, Jason, before the show. I will bet you right now, on February twenty seventh, Brevin Jordan from Miami, Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame. One of those two guys is going to be a Green Bay Packer. And I feel pretty comfortable saying those things. So as I say that, I sit here and ask you, what are you doing with Robert Tunyon, who big year last year, you want to keep the I mean, the offense is already losing, like you mentioned, probably, I should say, Aaron Jones and Corey Lindsley. Now you're going to have to replace, you know, 11 touchdowns, 50-plus catches, all that good stuff too. What are your thoughts on Tunyon as we move forward?
5: The Packers are going to have a decision to make based on the deadline for when they have to tender him. I don't want to overpay for anybody this year. I'm taking a conservative approach to that. So for me, I am not as as bullish on Sternberger. I he was my breakout candidate last year when we did our preseason show at Pulse. He was then he was like the easiest choice. I was like, "How can you guys not all be in unison with me here?" And he just didn't have a didn't stay healthy. He had some trouble with drops and there were other things that he couldn't get on the field, even with Deguara being hurt and not as not part of the equation. But if the Packers take that approach and they're going to draft another tight end, it doesn't make sense to to pay Robert Tunney a lot of money. I was going to say Robert Tunney had a ton of money. Does it just doesn't make it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think the Packers have to be smart here, and that's one thing we can count on every single year is they're not going to make bad financial decisions. When was the last time the Packers made a bad? financial decision that really hamstrung the team. You'd have to go back to the days of Mike Sherman.
4: I would say Joe Johnson, like
5: maybe manual. Manuel. Of <laughs> Manuel. Well, you and and that was well, and that that was before Ted realized that he couldn't sign free agents without downing a bottle of Tum's. So <laughs> you know, we'll give him a hall pass for that. That was one of his first off seasons. Uh it was his second off season actually. His uh, manual came in with Charles Woodson in the 06 year, but you just be smart. And I think with Tony, you know, again, this is the thing where Packers fans are like, wait a minute, what? Like I kind of did where I was like, well, you got to, those numbers are big. You know, but when you step back and you look at it and you think about it rationally and things, the answers to these questions change this year just because of the money situation, you've only got so much and the Packers have is tight. And the other question is, and it's rhetorical because we know the answer is tight end, a huge need. On this team, it's not. So you can't allocate any kind of premium resources. And I'm not talking top dollar, but even above average market deal towards the position, especially when you have Sternberger, who could still, the light bulb still, could still come on. You got DeGuara coming back, who is still expected to be a big contributor. I think Big Dog, is, is as little as he does in the passing game, I think Big Dog's going to come back for one more ride because if he can play, why wouldn't you try to take one more shot with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback? There's there's still a chance that they might get disappointed in the end, but why are you why have you played this long? Because you want to ring, right? So I think Big Dog could come back too. So I think the Packers are fine at tight end. Just be smart. Don't overpay. If Tony can go get paid somewhere else, good for him. We'll see what he can really do. And I think, Jake, there's a lot of truth to what you said there. I think, I think he fits well because he's in the right place in Green Bay and the offense that they run.
0: Yeah, all
4: that being said, I think Tunyon is going to be back because, like I said, I don't think the Packers are going to quibble over a couple million dollars, and I don't think a team's going to sign him, but it only takes one, as we've seen several times. It just takes one team to pony up, and you miss out on a player or, you know, whatever it is, kind of like what we talked about with Watt earlier. It only takes one team to offer him, you know, two years, $22 million annual value, and bam, He plays for the Miami Dolphins instead of a team that we've kind of been talking about as far as all those things go. So that part will be interesting. The other thing that gets interesting this offseason is what Brian Gutekunst talked about when they signed David Bakhtiari, and that is what they believe will be a multitude of players that are available that may not be. And it's one thing that has been largely speculated because of this small cap is those mid-tier deals that green – so last year, for example – Rick Wagner and Christian Kirksey, those were mid-market kind of deals that they signed. And somebody said this year that it was basically going to be elite money. So Aaron Jones, Corey Lindsley, guys like that, and like vet minimum type stuff. So what I wanted to do, and this was somewhat inspired by a conversation I had with a co pack and that is Steve Perhatch yesterday about John Ross. And just is there somebody that you can think of that you've seen out there that you think might, be available whose market may not be the, granted, I'm asking for a ton of speculation when I say this, but maybe their market's not going to be where maybe it should be. And you want to see Green Bay kind of chase someone like that.
5: So I guess I'll lean back on the work that I did on the, if I were Goody series, and it's not a position of big time need for the Packers. But I think there might be a couple wide receivers out there that might fit that bill if you want to bring in a surefire number three, number two. If you're not 100% sold on Marquez Valdez, Scantling, which after the NFC Championship game you kind of should be because he played pretty well. He was one of the top performers in that game, but he had his struggles during the regular season. Lazard, is, is he a true number two guy? Probably not. Is Tampa's Chris Godwin? He's a guy that I think the Packers could potentially try to get in on that might sneak in under the radar. He had he played well during the playoffs, and we all know how when players play well during the playoffs, and this is in most sports too, somebody tends to overpay for him because they performed on a big stage. So that's one that sticks out to me is is Godwin. I mean, if we want to talk about the other positions of need as far as corner, I know a friend of the show, Peter Bukowski, has talked about Xavier Rhodes. I I don't know how big of a of a fan I am there. I know that the Packers need to look look at veteran corners. Um, I I guess I'm not totally sure what direction they're going to go. I'm not in on Patrick Peterson. I think he's marginally better than Kevin King, which is what the Packers need to improve. They need to get better than Kevin King at corner. Uh, the other thing the other thing you could you could look at too is running back, and I think running backs. Uh, I don't have a, a specific name in mind necessarily. I know James White's name has been thrown around there too. Apparently a lot of Badgers want to come home. And if he wants to come play for the Green Bay Packers, and James White was actually one of the examples of, uh, and I think actually Paul's, uh, he might have been the highest paid running back on a Super Bowl champion, and his salary was like under $2 million that season. So, you know, that's... Let me me
4: stop you there with James White too, because this is the question I have. Who's a better player? Jamal Williams... Or James White? Jamal Williams. Okay. So knowing that, how much cheaper does James White have to come to Green Bay in order for you to say, we'll sign him? So say, for example, that Jamal Williams is looking at a three-year deal worth about $15 million with about nine guaranteed, so about $5 million average annual value. How much cheaper, and with the guarantees and everything, that cap number may be like half of that, how much cheaper does James White have to come to Green Bay for you to say go that route instead of just bringing back Jamal Williams? Well,
5: I wouldn't I wouldn't not bring back Jamal Williams. I mean it would have to be it would have to be at least half or less to to bring White in, but I'm not I'm not not bringing back Jamal Williams. I want Jamal Williams back. So uh, I guess I'm getting greedy here and saying I'd like to see them both but I don't know if that if that's going to work you know you don't want to allocate too many resources towards the running back you're not going to you're not going to re-sign Aaron Jones if you're going to pay that kind of money to running backs, you might as well look at bringing Jones back and see if he'll take a two year deal and keep that dynamic aspect of your offense there but it's I'm just thinking of positions where there's going to be a lot of a lot of guys on the market and the Packers might be able to find some really good value there you know Watts kind of the exception because he apparently has expressed some interest in coming to Green Bay, and he's from Wisconsin, and it's a little bit different. But I, I typically would say here, and I think the, the point of your question, too, is is we're kind of staying away from the big-name free agents, and we're talking about guys who are under the radar that aren't necessarily on everybody's you know, top to-do lists of free agents.
4: Yeah, that's kind of my thought, is I think you just hit it right on the head. Half, like two and a half mil, like... Yeah, if you can get Jamal Williams for, you know, four-ish million dollars, then I want James White for two. Like, Jamal's just, he's played in this offense. He's a better player, better blocker. As far as the pass-catching thing goes, you know, White's probably a little bit better in the passing game, but it's not a pronounced difference in there. Uh, But I do think you're onto something when you say, you know, a veteran mid-tier type running back and then draft a guy, you know, in in the mid to late rounds to go alongside A.J. Dillon, who... Dylan's going to be your starting running back next season. I feel pretty confident in in saying that. Obviously, at this point, he would be the starter if there was a game to be played tomorrow, which, hey, newsflash, there's not. So with that in mind, you know, where I'm looking, there's a couple things. I would be floored if Chris Godwin became a under-the-radar type, but, I mean, anything's possible, obviously. One player who, again, I, I don't think will be in that under-the-radar discussion, but say the Packers get in a position to where they want to take a a home run kind of swing, and they don't get JJ Watt, just for example's sake. Will Fuller is somebody that they were obviously in on at the trade deadline. They didn't get him, and then that turned out to be a blessing in disguise as he missed the rest of the season with a performance enhancing <laughs> drug suspension. That would be interesting uh, under if you want to go under the radar. Maybe you know less than that. A name that I would look at is. Marvin Jones, he is a – there's a guy who who is a Dallas Mavericks media personality. His name is Dalton Trigg, and he calls guys against the Mavs All-Stars. So, like, tonight, for example, Dallas is playing um, the Brooklyn Nets, and DeAndre Jordan is somebody who – he's not good, but against the Mavs, he plays like an All-Star. He just plays career games against Dallas. Which is
5: ironic, given the situation from a couple years ago.
4: Correct. So, Dallas (laughs) – Or the Packers, Marvin Jones is a against the Packers all-star. It just seems like every time they play him, this dude's making ridiculous freaking catches and just dominating. And I think he is a great, great with a capital G compliment to Devontae Adams as that other guy across from there. And then he kind of helps everybody. Again, if the Packers could get a legitimate number two wide receiver like that, it allows everyone else to kind of slide into their appropriate roles, right? MVS is now your deep threat. You're not relying on him to do too much. Alan Lazard is your possession receiver. You bring him in to dig people out the running game, but you're not relying on him for too much either. Devontae's still your stud, blah, blah, blah. That's one name I think it's something that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. The Packers obviously know him. They've played him twice a year for the last five or six years or however long it's been that he's been in Detroit. So I think that name could potentially be interesting. The other name on the defensive side of the ball that'll go with corners is maybe not a boundary corner because there's been a lot of discussion about guys like you mentioned Patrick Peterson. You mentioned uh, – you didn't mention Richard Sherman, but that was another name which – no. Sorry. I I have loved to hate Richard Sherman for far too long to try and have to root for him. I can't do it. Xavier Rhodes is another name uh, that has come up, obviously. But I wonder if the Packers could potentially look into the slots corner position and try and upgrade that in free agency. And I don't think Shannon Sullivan's a bad player, but I don't think he's a good one either. Like, that's one of those – he's a replaceable – player and if you can do that with a guy like desmond king of the tennessee titans nickel Roby coleman formerly of a lot of places most famously with the los angeles rams i think you can find something there and then in the draft what you can do is just take a bunch of swings on some boundary guys you know in the first round if you could get a guy like jc horn or grant newsome or Asante samuel jr you know some of these names that are kind of becoming the draft crushes across Packers Twitter. And then in the later rounds, you find some other guys and just say, you know, we're going to fill out our cornerback room and try and fill things out that way. And then early in the season, you either are hoping that your first round pick at corner is ready to roll like Jair Alexander was, or, you know, you're rolling with, I mean, this isn't a great situation. I understand that, but Josh Jackson, Kadar Holman, somebody like that is playing on the outside and rolling from there. But this is kind of where the Packers may, have to kind of do some things and be shrewd with their with their free agent decisions because it's not as simple as, you know, hey, go out and sign J.J. Watt and sign Xavier Rhodes and then go to the Super Bowl. It's probably an or situation with those two guys and then some other vet minimum type stuff because obviously the Packers have some other things that they'll need to shore up. It won't just be a cornerback or a defensive lineman pass rusher type thing in order for Green Bay to try and get back to the Super Bowl. So, that's what I think will be interesting. You know, I, I've, I'm fascinated by the free agency market this year just because I think I was listening to Shine on sports the other day, and I can't remember who Shine had on, but he said he thinks free agency might go slower than it normally does, whereas, like, you know, when the Packers signed all their guys, it was like the second day of free agency, bang, they signed all four of those dudes. And then after that, it was just like, okay, see, so you hit the draft. And that's kind of how free agency normally goes. It's like the first two or three days, and it's like, all right, let's shut down to the draft. This guy seems to think that this might work a little differently and that the free agent market might go slower. And some of that could be because of some big name quote players on the quote unquote trade block, which allow me, please forgive me for just a minute. Deshaun Watson, maybe Deshaun Watson might be a different situation just because he appears adamant in refusing to play. But yesterday, Russell Wilson, the story comes out that he kind of passively, aggressively asked for a trade. And now everybody's like, oh, man, where does he look the best? Dallas? Could Dallas get him? Could the Raiders? Like, Seattle's not going to trade him. And this is not, the NFL is not the NBA. Just because a star player asks to be traded doesn't mean that that happens. And a great example is in Green Bay, Wisconsin, in 2007. The Packers did not trade for Randy Moss. And the next day, Brett Favre said, okay, I want to be traded. And did the Packers trade him that season? No. NFL, the NFL is different from every other league, and it's that's just how it's going to be. I will be very surprised if Deshaun Watson gets traded. That said, I didn't think Carson Wentz was going to get traded. So it does happen, but I will be... I think that Watson is going to either play in Houston or he's going to sit and try and go that route. Not the route I would take, but kudos to Sean if that's that's the way you want to.
5: Just don't end up in Chicago or Minnesota. And Chicago apparently was one of the places to take the Russell Wilson rumor even further that Russell Wilson said that he would – Go play. As like if road. he's the one pulling the trigger and, and making his own trade.
3: Which, let's
4: go into that for just a second. <laughs> he doesn't want to be in Seattle anymore. Because, so this past season, he had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, obviously.
5: <laughs> Mr. Unlimited. Oh, Jesus.
4: <laughs> I mean, so we're, has, we're
5: spending so much time talking about this guy. We probably just Paul Brett just turned off our show. I can't blame him. But...
4: <laughs> So before that, you know, his complaint was that he was throwing to guys like Jermaine Curse and just random dudes, like not top caliber receivers like DK Metcalf and complaining about his pass protection, which kudos, man, like <laughs> you're going <laughs> to, you're going to bash your offensive line in the media and then go look him in the eye in the huddle and do that corny robot rust crap that you do every year. I think that's going to be a tough sell, but anyways. He's mad about no weapons. He's mad about the offensive line. So one of the places he'll accept a trade is to Chicago, who might have the worst offensive line in the NFL. And after Allen Robinson gets either tagged and traded or signs with the Washington football team, which I love that fit, by the way, they don't have any
3: weapons. (laughs)
4: Like They've got Darnell Mooney, who's a nice-ish player. They've got Cole Komet, who is better than I thought he was going to be in his rookie season. And David Montgomery, who's a pretty good running back, but that doesn't matter behind an offensive line that is a sieve, they are horrible up front. And that's not something that's going to get better if they're trading a crap ton of assets to get you.
5: And by the way, Jermaine Curse just happens to nope, have been nope, one of your receivers.
4: No, no, no,
0: no. No, that's not where not I'm going. That's, about... <laughs>
5: that's, that's not where I'm going. That's not where I'm going. He happens to be a guy that you were throwing primary passes to the two years that your team appeared in and one of which won a Super Bowl. So okay. DK Metcalf, you and DK Metcalf have yet to appear in a Super Bowl together. So, you know, go ahead and stack it up and see how that works out.
4: I gotta say, man, it was pretty entertaining to watch Richard Sherman and some of the former Seahawk defensive players just tee off. Not so subtly tee off on him. I don't I don't think he's like that story that came out years ago about how like in the store, there was one practice where Wilson threw a pick and Sherman caught it and he shouted back at him, You effing suck. And then some of those stories about Pete Carroll coddled him and that's why the defensive players maybe didn't like it a whole lot. And there's just a lot there that's really interesting. But long story short, Russell Wilson's going to be the same passive aggressive, insufferable, corny person as the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And Deshaun Watson were just. Uh, sorry, man, but you're going to be stuck in Houston. And the Texans, I know everything's bad, and I know that organization's a tire fire, but they'd be stupid to trade him too. Like, they just would. And the difference between him and Carson Wentz is very simple. The Texans know Carson Wentz is, or excuse me, the Texans know Deshaun Watson is good. The Eagles weren't sure Carson Wentz is good anymore. And if they thought he was good, he would still be on the Eagles. That's how it works. You don't trade players you think are good anymore. Unless, like, in the case of the Lions, you know, that's kind of a perfect storm of situation. That doesn't apply with a 25-year-old quarterback who could be an MVP as soon as next season if he suits up. So this is not a Texans and Bears and Seahawks show, but I thought that was interesting. And there's not a whole lot going on around the league. So, that part was interesting. You know, maybe the Packers could trade Aaron Rodgers for Deshaun Watts. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. They wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that.
5: There's a bunch of stuff that would be wrong with that. But
4: anyways, we're... Bill
5: O'Brien's not in Houston anymore, so we've lost our window of opportunity there.
4: Correct. We are out of time. Uh, so <laughs> that's how I'm going to transition out of here. Thank you guys for listening into to all your episodes. We'll be here all off-season long. It is the 1st of March on Monday morning, and spring apparently has... Knock on wood sprung a little bit. It's supposed to be in the 50s this week. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about getting closer to the draft. I'm excited about a bunch of different stuff. I look forward to doing this with you know, Jimmy and Maggie or if Andy decides to switch some things up. And obviously, Jason, you guys are on Saturdays with Paul and Mark Eckel. and I look forward to all that stuff too. But I look forward to listening. I thank you guys for listening to this every week. You can find my work. Twitter, at Jacob Westendorf, Packer Report once a week, and then Game On, Wisconsin, for just about everything. Uh, We're still rolling. I've got the Gold Zone this week with Jake Morley, and we have a very special guest. And for those of you that haven't caught a show yet, quarterback show, we had Kent Swanson of Arrowhead Pride. Running back show, we had Matt Miller, NFL Draft Scout, formerly of Bleacher Report, now of ESPN. Wide receivers, we had Eric Crocker. This week is tight ends, and I'm just going to tease the guest. You might want to tune in. I'm just throwing that in there. So jason if we want to find your stuff where can we find that
5: i am at jason prone on twitter and at game on wisconsin i'll throw some garble up there every once in a while any breaking news hopefully is me if it's jj watt i've already told the entire slack chat i get that i get that one i don't care if it's two in the morning
4: two in the morning and let's hope it is uh for what it's worth i talked to the general manager which is my wife and she said he hasn't responded yet so we're working on it we're doing everything we can jj like i said I will shave a 99 into the side of my head, and I promise you, I will. I will purchase that jersey the day that it is up. So it's it's time to come. It's it's time to time to come home. And I tell you what, I'll go one step further. Not only will we purchase those jerseys the day they're bought, Jason and I will break our rule. We talk ahead of time when we go to games together. Who are you wearing? So we don't match. We will match at the game we go to next season.
5: Yeah, we will. So
4: JJ, I don't know how you could pass that up, but. At any rate, guys, that's not what the episode was. Thank you for listening in, following through with everything on us. We'll see you guys again soon, and I look forward to doing this again each and every day throughout the rest of this offseason. Follow the podcast at Podcast on Twitter. Send us your thoughts, feelings, emotions, all that good stuff. It's March. It's time for baseball, which means it's almost six months from football. Thanks for listening. Go Pack Go.